podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Anfield Wrap. I am Neil Atkinson and the Anfield Wrap is supported by Redsbet. We partnered with them for the entirety of 2018. It is tailor-made for Liverpool fans and Redsbet are an online gaming platform which seeks to build lasting partnerships with supporters that enable them to share 50% of net profits generated from bets to be used specifically for fan causes and other initiatives that matter to supporters. The supporters I've got in front of me today are Rob Gutman, Andy Heaton and Rick McAvoy to talk about Liverpool uh, beating uh, Brighton and Hove Albion by four of your goals to none of their goals and simultaneously confirming they will be playing Champions League football next season. And let's start there, uh, Rob. It is yeah. fair to say that, that was a it was an utterly dominant performance from Liverpool. It could have been 5-0 at half-time. They absolutely broke any resistance that Brighton and Hove Albion might have had and they were relaxed whilst doing so. Yeah, it felt like a rare treat of a game, didn't it? Um one direction, really quite painless, an afternoon where you could just bask. And, we, and you know, we've had so many strong performances this season, but there's always been some sort of, well, not always, but there's often been stings in the tail. Uh, the pressure was off coming into it. I think we have to first say thanks to the Huddersfield-Chelsea result in the week. There's a massive difference between having to get a draw at home and having to win a football match at home. Brighton were on the beach, so they were always likely to be beaten at one, certainly at two goals. But, you know, all those sort of qualifications aside, I thought we were devastating. It, it, of course, it showed how a week's rest helps this Liverpool team, how this Liverpool team will always benefit from time on the training ground with its coaches and with Jurgen Klopp uh, and, and with the batteries fully recharged so the players can run and run and run. Um, in some ways, it was as dominant a performance as we put in at home. Opposition notwithstanding, but the opposition aren't terrible. They beat Man U about a week and a bit ago. They drew with Tottenham about a week and a bit ago. They're not rubbish, uh, but Liverpool were very, very dominant, created a ridiculous amount of chances. And it was actually, all around me, we were laughing that it wasn't four or five at halftime. I'm not laughing, just lamenting. It was, it, 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 4-0 flattered them in the end, Rick, and that's, or more accurately, that's unfair. That almost feels as though you're attacking Brighton saying they were that bad. It was more that 4-0 ever so slightly damns Liverpool. That was that was a performance that really could have been 6 or 7, and it really could have just been 6 or 7 by the break. Yeah, we were um, we were in the, the upper tier of the main stand, so not, not the greatest uh, view of being able to see every individual player. But one thing I could see, you know, you could see clearly in the first few minutes was was how how much they were worried by Solanke. Right, so that was creating space all over the shop. Just just from him, you know, he, he slipped over a couple of times, but he got through maybe twice when he slipped over in the first 10 minutes. And I, I turned to my wife and just said, look, we're, he's scoring today. You know, this this any any tension in the game was gone in that first 10 minutes. Yeah, we didn't score till like half hour, but you just saw, well, we're cutting through these and all it's going to take is one or two and they're just going to, you know, Give his, up. his role in the first goal, having watched it back, was more, much more significant than I realised watching it in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought he had a great game, but I think, like Neil said, five, five, six nil at half-time would not have flattered us at all. The fact that it's only two is partly down to us wanting, or uh, Mane wanting Salah to get the golden boot, but also we, we just weren't quite clinical enough. On the beach is an interesting thing, Andy, and in that I think I, I'm always a little bit sceptical of on the beach and that these are professional footballers. And I think, you know, extreme examples like Huddersfield deciding to have two days on the ale aside after their Chelsea result, I think on the whole, 
I think sides, you know, do stay disciplined till the end. What I do think happens, though, is when you do get too ahead, the, 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 there wasn't the urgency really from Brighton to drag the way back into the game. But the point is, Liverpool go too ahead deep into the first half. You know, Brighton, they don't want to be embarrassed. They're, a fo- they're an organised football side. And and I think that, you know, they've, they've, they've been a mid-table team this season. And Liverpool, Liverpool did really, really well just to keep cutting through them over and over. Yeah, um, I think... I think you can put teams on the beach, if that makes sense. Um, no one's on the beach. No one goes into a football match wanting to roll over and get beaten, but you give them very little encouragement, and that's what Liverpool did. Or they didn't put the chances away early on. But every every facet of the performance was nailed down. Um, I think that's just, it was almost reminiscent of just the way we were playing through them. Remember that game against Norwich with Alonso? was just pinging it everywhere yeah. and we were just in total, total domination. I think that's the most dominant performance of Klopp's Anfield career, to be quite honest. Um, and that isn't to say... So it's easy to... When, when you hammer teams 4 and 5 nil, and you say, oh, they were abject and you see mistakes there, there and everywhere, Brighton didn't make that many mistakes. They were just literally pulled to the limits from the, from the get-go. Um, and the, the scene, it, was a, it was always going to be inevitable after the first 10 minutes that the seams would start to rip, gaps would start to appear. And once the first one goes in, well, then you you, you are in that quandary, well, what, what do you do next? It's interesting how Klopp set up for that as well, in that Brighton, I don't know, it, it seemed unlikely Brighton are quite a compact, half-decent defensive unit when they want to be, that that, uh, that that park the bus may be a bit harsh, on them, but they were going to stay compact and defensive from, from the get-go. And Klopp went with a four up front. Okay, partially partially forced maybe by uh, by Milner's injury, but I thought it was bold and it was interesting. Spent the much, much of the match debating what kind of formation it was. Was it the, the gamble with Solanke's paid off massively, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has, and it pays off because Brighton are obliging enough to, to make us not need to have anything more than a two man midfield, or in fact, two central midfielders are sitting in front of the centre backs for much of the game. Um, so it was the right thing to do. It was it was an interesting little marker, really, maybe for how Klopp might might handle these kind of games um, in the future. Because against against that low block, Liverpool didn't look like it worried them whatsoever. The, the team seemed set up to relish how deep Brighton would were prepared to go. From my point of view, one of the the big things in that first half that that probably killed Brighton more than anything else um, that there's a bit where Lovren loses his man. Cuts across um, the the forward cuts across and is is gone, and Van, Van Dijk just strolls up oh, I love past that him, bit. just strolls next <laughs> to him, takes the ball, and if you're if you're Brighton and you're going, we're, we're getting cut through like anyone's business, and your best your best attacking move of the half is cut off by someone basically moonwalking up to you, you know it it, <laughs> it doesn't imply that you're going to have anything of this game. They, I mean, they were, there's two things here. They work massively on that. I remember after the game at Old Trafford away. Um, and everyone was focusing on uh, the error for the first one. And I think the one I just said, oh, well, Trent should have cut an angle off. And it's obviously work on angles if someone beats, if player X beats player Y, then defender X should be covering this area, etc. The other the other side of it is, and the lad next to me said this, when, when have you ever seen Van Dijk sprint? When do you ever see him make a last ditch? You just, you don't. And I think that was the nearest we've ever got when he broke into a mild jog. It was so it. authoritative that, wasn't oh, it? Oh, no, but it was like, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly the right word. That's really, it's just how we fantasise Van Dyke would be this sort of superhuman footballer. Of course, he's got a wreck in him. Of course, he's not flawless. When he does things like that, he does look like he is from another planet. He just looks physically on a different. As you said, he didn't look. He didn't look like he had to do anything quicker, but he just just get out well, of the way. I'm he's, sorting. He's this. a type of defender who can make a sense of forward wilt. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? When you when sense of forward go, you know what? I I don't actually fancy this today. Yeah, it, it was good. It, it, it almost in one moment put to bed the idea that, that this could be a two-way contest, that, that, that any resistance they might offer might cause us some damage. No, it was going to be played in their half. End of story. I think they have one sortie, don't they, in the second half, which brings their fans out into a song of, we've had a shot, we've had a shot, in that southern woolly back style. <laughs> on that, on that, and it's interesting because it, Neil says this quite often, do you think they shook hands on, I know the game ended up 4-0, but the pace dropped a little bit. Do you think they shook hands on 65? Yeah, I think, I, well, yeah, I think a 3-0 there, I think they just sort of go, you know what, there's there's, there's nothing in this for us. But us as well, we just went... On us as well. Yeah. No, I think we just sort of go, well, this is 3-0 and we can just sort of stroll. But I think there's something else, Andy, which, you know, the Van Dyke thing makes clear that, that it was the extent to which they just simply couldn't get out. They couldn't build a bridgehead. They could, you know, they couldn't even, they couldn't even have five minutes of, of we'll just play the game in the middle third if you don't mind. That was just taken away from them by a combination of Van Dyke, Lovren, Henderson, Wijnaldum. It was the idea of you're going to get to do anything here that's anywhere near the halfway line. Absolutely not. We were there was a point where I, th- I thought we were all all of our players were uh, well certainly in the centre circle of their half. You know, like that's how forward our, our centre halves have gone. They're actually now defending not just the halfway line; they're almost defending the centre circle, which is kind of not like us. That makes sense. I mean, I, look, I know when we're at our best, we have probably have less, less position in the opposition and we blitz. But where we've, where we've kind of come unstuck and got better as the season progressed is like this control and domination to keep the ball not recycling. The amount of times where we've failed to come from under a mile an hour down to 60 and just be patient and probe and not... So, you know that stage in the game where they just start lashing the... All right, fair enough, we were 2-3 and three and all up at the time anyway. But there's been games where immediately teams have sat back and you can you get a sense oh this is going to be difficult because we're we're going to lose our rag we're going to maybe make a mistake we're going to we're going to start playing that long none of that they were just calm patient and given and look, it's all wise after the event it was it's all wise after the event you know Chelsea got beat Liverpool won four 0 but there was still a hell of a lot on the line yeah I thought five that, minutes to kick off I thought was, I thought our concentration was good even at the point you could say that we weren't going to the run intent, and, the intent was good as well yeah even the, you know you knew the intensity would have to drop off and you knew you that you know that sort of as you say that that tacit shaking of hands that happened but you, you look at the third and the fourth even even more so they're really really impressive goals both of those uh you know, the third comes without us having a period of intensity. It's just it's just us staying focused. It's a counter. The counter-attack is on, but we stay focused. Every player's touch is, is perfect. Firmino gets it out of his feet, as he as is his uh, forte superbly. He threads Salah in. Salah lets the ball do the work, as is his forte, then makes that crucial first touch, which takes him away from everyone, and then threads Solanke in, who is still focused on the fact that he is having a good game and he still has a job to do. So I thought, in a way, it summed up the best of Liverpool, that goal. And sorry, I'll just, just be quick to finish on, without going into detail on the, la- the last one. The fact that all the subs have been made, all the a lot of the B lads were on the pitch, but we still played football like a Liverpool team to score that goal. Yeah, the... <laughs> The big thing of that with the the fourth goal was seeing the interplay between Lalana and and actually Danny Ings for yeah. me, seeing that he can fit into that 
that pattern of play, those those little one twos, moving the ball quickly and where it needs to go. Uh, on the shaking hands at sixty five minutes piece, I think Klopp said himself um, after the match that when that third went in, that was the first joy he's felt all season because he knew it was done. It's not like it's not like you're playing a team with with enough to ride in on the game to. Uh, to pull you back from a three-goal lead. And also, you know that any of the guys you're bringing on are wanting, especially with Solanke getting the third, you put Ings on, Ings is going to want to make sure he's doing everything he can to to be the, the first attacking change in the Champions League final. Lallana's coming on, he's going to want to prove his fitness. There's there's so much there for the Liverpool players in relation to to what's left for Brighton. That's why I think Solanke's goal was so important. And look, I'm not anywhere near advocating the starting kit, but no one knows what's going to happen. But you look at a player now who's got a goal in front of it at Anfield. He's got that out of his system. If, for whatever reason, you did need him there, he's, he's, <laughs> there's a really crude euphemism that I'm not going to use, but he's got the, he's, he's basically got that out of him now. He's got that, he can just relax a little bit and come on. And it's, I, I just think that's so that's so valuable to Liverpool, even in the long term, that he's, he's got that out of his system. You can see he's got all the gifts, I think, Solanke. But it's the confidence has kept him a fraction of a yard short throughout throughout his cameos. But but he was showing. I, I thought he was a little closer to, to where he wants to be in that first half. And the goal is the, the goal is the goal that you, you hope he can score again and again. Um, He's a very yeah. You can see why you, you. I mean, a lot of the times I think in recent weeks or in recent months, people have gone. Really, what was the point of Salanki? He's just occupying a, a place where maybe a Regi would have done better. Maybe some. <clears throat> maybe, maybe more. Maybe we needed to have invested an extra few quid in a proper fourth or fifth choice striker. Um, and, and anyone who's held that view has had enough evidence to support them, I think, from the bits and pieces we've seen from Solanke. But I think there has been hints that he's not exactly playing within himself, but but not not mentally able to quite cut free. I think this was the first time, if you want to believe what I think the coaching staff and the scouts will have seen in him, that there is something much, much more to come from him. I think there was some serious evidence that, there that, that's, that's what I'm saying about being able to relax into it and, you know, playing and protecting and not making a mistake. Yeah. Now having that bravery to go, actually, you know what? I think I might just deserve to be in the squad. I'm not, I'm not come on with it, that burden of having something to prove and do and overthink and do everything. Right. You know what strikers Neil. You know what it's like. And there, I think there's there's something for me, Robin. His first ten, I think his first ten is dead interesting in that you see he's he's just too anxious, but he's actually doing lots of the right things. And, mm. he need, and what Rick said before, when he nearly gets in, you can see that he's doing lots of the right things, and he ends up at one point and was chesting the ball on the floor, but he's chesting the ball on the floor on the edge of their area, having had the ball under control. And my point here is that it is that sort of that's the assurance that you're looking for. I think that's what you're talking about. If he can just now relax, that 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 idea that that's a problem for him is gone. He's got his Liverpool goal, and I'm not I'm not so much thinking about Kiev in that. You know, I think listen, no, it's all hands it's all hands on deck at Kiev. But I am sort of wondering if through the Ings poor performances when given opportunities and what Solanke's demonstrated against Brighton, if maybe just maybe he's he's, he's managed to get himself into the. Don't send me out on loan. Keep coaching me. Keep me around the good lads. I want to play with the good lads. Let me have some turns next season playing with the good lads. Let's see what happens. Yeah, without without making, I'm not going to make a comparison, but I do remember a young Ian Rush. It's not like he's not going to be Ian Rush, but I do remember his first 18, 19 games. There was 
He, you know, he was he was um, what's the Bambi on ice at times, a Solanke, or too heavy in his touches, and he and you know you couldn't see where the goal was coming from, and yet there were things that were right. When you see a player, player's got pace and power and body strength, and you can see them wanting to do the right things, you know sometimes it's it's not far away. I mean, he, for me, he's, he makes the first crucial contribution of the game, which I think serves notice on Brighton that this is going to be a very difficult afternoon. Because he, from right, saying he threads Mane in for the chance where Mane probably should have squared it for Firmino. But it's a really, he's got a decision to make, Solanke. That he could have, he could go left, and uh, you know, I think a few a few around me was, was screaming for left. But the thread to Mane is so perfect that it's a Rolls Royce of a chance that Mane should take all or sc- score. But what? <laughs> that chance. I, I, my head fell off. Oh, what? My head fell off watching Mane's head fall off. It was great. Oh, well, and the one where, where he tries to set Salah for him. But, um, but I love what Solanke does on the opening goal for Salah. And he, he was trying to do that all afternoon. Well, not all afternoon. For good chunks of the afternoon against Chelsea last week. He was trying to roll his man, opening up, opening up the edge of the penalty area for runners, and it wasn't coming off for him. To see it, but when when Trent breaks through the middle of the park, sort of unopposed because of Brighton sitting so deep, he wants to find the vertical pass in. Everyone's marked. Solanke's the only one of the front four who he takes one step to his right, and suddenly he's free. What do you think? And nobody moves with him, and he gets it. He gets the ball, nudges it to Salah, and the rest is. Gone. Do, you think, do you think that's maybe one of the? Reasons he threw the Mickey in, picking the four up front in so much as the bright man. I thought, right, we'll go, we'll literally go man for man with these three. And then suddenly by throwing the extra man in, you've got a, you've got an overload somewhere. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it requires people still got to move. I mean, you often have four or five thrown at a defence uh, when you're ch- chasing a game in, in, a, in a siege like way. Well, I think you chose to play out how you're going to play the last 10 minutes from the first 10 minutes onwards to an extent, only with a bit more of the calmness that you can get in the first 10 as opposed to the last 10. See, I. I like I say, I thought Solanke had a, a really good game, and there was there was kind of two, two well, I suppose three points to it. So obviously, the finish for his goal is amazing. Yeah. It's just it's exactly what you would want, you know. Apart from maybe it being down the other end, but um, the probably the thing that stood out most in the performance for me was his link play, his 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 little flicks, his his little passes around the corner hmm. that to me looked more like someone who will with time be able to operate in the system that we currently play than anything I've seen with Danny Ings. Danny Ings gives it his all, is running until he can't run anymore, which, you know, isn't isn't a, a long time nowadays, but he, he, he doesn't look like he's, he's on the same level, the same wavelength as the other guys in that front three. The only kind of downside for me is that he had all of those three on the pitch with him so you don't know whether you put Danny Ings there and he's he's got those three lads behind him whether you see a different Danny Ings I, I just I just think Ings doesn't have the attributes in the for the modern game I think that Solanke has I don't know Ings might be a brighter footballer cleverer footballer I don't know yet because I don't know the full range of Solanke but but the, the power and the pace is, is, and the physicality is a thing. One of the things that most pleased me, Rob, about the performance, the, the performance full stop, but with Solanke starting in amongst where he did, actually was the number of the number of chances, the number of missed chances, and especially the number of missed chances from Firmino. Yeah. That it didn't, we weren't in a situation where Firmino wasn't in the game. Let's put aside the fact that he doesn't stick the ball in the back of the net for a second. 
he's he should. And if you're the coach, if you're a coach, if you're a manager, you walk away and you go, well, that worked. Just because he does, he didn't score doesn't mean that didn't work. Manny doesn't score, but Manny should score. Do you know what I mean? He's able. He, the manager was a, is able to look back and watch the video of that game and conclude. He's able to watch it in real time and conclude. All four of that front four should score. They all should have scored today. Therefore, that is an attack that's functioned. It's not just that one player's played particularly well or anything like that. That is an attack that's functioned. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting, actually, because all all focus on the goal tallies this season has all been about Mo Salah and sort of like a maybe a slightly patronising nod to the lads behind him. They're scoring goals too. But you watch the body languages of Mane and Firmino, I thought even more so. Firmino wanted his goals yesterday. He knew there were goals in that game. You're absolutely right. When Mane doesn't square it to him early doors, he's fuming. He wants that goal. He wants that on his tally. He knows he was in, within sight of, uh, was it all comps 30, wasn't he? Which is, yeah, he was. He, I, think, I think he's finished the season on about 27 or something like that. He's not finished it, Rob. We've got one more game. <laughs> but there you go. It's hat-trick in Kiev, uh, notwithstanding then. But you know what? So he, so he, so he had his eye on, on, on a quiet little hatful yesterday. And then when he misses that one in the second half where it is just a gift of a, of a chance and he hits, sort of hits it to the straight of the keeper. So he wants, yeah, and then he, he swipes at one. He has a shot from range. He could have been on the score sheet. There were, there were chances there for him. But as I said, watching his body language, he's a, you can tell how they've all become real strikers. It's not just Mo Salah and his competition with Harry Kane that the media are focused on. Firmino wants his goals, and I think he'll take that into next season. I'm Roberto Firmino, the goal scorer, not just this sort of bits and pieces player. Yeah, no, I've got... I've, no, I was, I was going to make a, a pamphester point. I could have gone on. About, about <laughs> Danny Ings, the, um, from about five minutes ago, just to say that I, I think... It was a little bit unfair on Danny Ings, and I think it is unfair on Danny Ings to write him off just basically because we haven't seen the body of evidence. But human psychology, it's always got to be one v the other. So people are pitching Solanke versus Ings like it's got to be one or the other. And actually, it hasn't with that thing that could legitimately be a place for both of them in this squad. Um, That's all it was. I think on the, um, the, the part that Rob's just been touching on, um, I think... Over the last few weeks, I don't know whether the golden boot thing had been getting in Salah's head. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because while he's not been scoring, if if you compare the last couple of games in the league to, and, and to a certain extent, the second leg against Roma, compare that to any other three or four game cross-section of the season, there's positions he was getting in where he's sliding a ball through to someone else. And I think it almost... almost came back at him because I, I, I remember specifically in the uh, Stoke game where Mane's cut in from the right and he's running towards the edge of the box and Salah's done a thing where he's dropped the shoulder, he's he's gone to go inside but then gone outside his man and you're thinking, right, just slide that ball there and he's 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 got a tap in. But it didn't look like Mane really wanted to play that ball almost in a bloody hell. If he's being like this, I'm not going to do it. But it was there was absolutely none of that yesterday. And I think yeah, you're right. West Brom, Stoke, Chelsea. There were times where Salah was just straightforwardly self in business yeah. for himself. See, I, 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 I've got to disagree. I don't buy that at all. I think it's just the case of the, yesterday was a case of having seven clear days to repair. I think they've that's been, a fair point. I, I think they've been tired. I don't think they've been as fluid as they have lately. Um, I mean, you can only see. I mean, look, you you want your strikers to be selfish, but I don't think it's the golden boot thing's been a conscious thing. I just think it's been a case of. Two games in a week, but the tail end of the season were ravaged by injuries. Also, maybe the idea of wanting to get it done fast, snatching the things. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, like, yeah, exactly. So one win in the last three weeks, and we, we're on the we're on the beach. 
essentially. Yes, exactly, exactly that. So just wanting to be sure and putting that responsibility on yourself where when you've got a bit of breathing space, maybe you're a little bit more relaxed, yeah. All of that. 32 league goals. Um, I mean, it's it, you're right, Rob, to, to mention that, you know, Firmino's got 16, I think it's 16 or 17 league goals. Uh, that or oh, 15, sorry, that, that Mane's got 10, plus the all comps uh, side of this for, for, for all three of them. But it's... It's an absolutely remarkable achievement, 32 league goals. And I've actually found it quite difficult. I had to do a chat before, I didn't have to do it. I did a chat before with a, a journalist who's over from the States about, about Salah. And it's almost hard to contextualise it when it's happening in front of you because you just go into matches and Mohamed Salah's scoring again. Mm. And you come out and you're like, he scored again, yeah. And it's great, it's great because Liverpool scored and Liverpool won, Liverpool scored, they did the thing that we love. It's hard to, without there being a little bit of distance and putting it consistently in a historical context... No one else has done this in a 38-game season in the Premier League. That's since 1992. Yeah. Ian Rush gets 47 for Liverpool, 83-84. The other thing I've been saying is 25 all-comps has only been done, I think, four times before, three times before this season, and both Salah and, and Firmino have both done that, and Salah's absolutely walked away with it. We either need the silverware or we need the, the almost to find a way to, to have the distance because we because we've been doing it every we've been doing it we've been watching it every week as you've been doing it to to really understand exactly how remarkable this is it's really hard to process because it's because it's unprecedented it's not just that he's you know he's broken all these records well there's a, there's a Liverpool player doing it there's, there's so many reasons it's hard to compute but the fact that he's just a new signing that's walked in through the door, that's doing, the fact that he's a winger, and I know, you know, there's ambiguity in the positions, but he's not hes not a, a Harry Kane. He's not turned up to be Liverpool's number nine. No. He literally didn't take the number. He, gave, he wanted Firmino to take number nine so he could wear 11. Yes, and, you know, he, he's not allowed to sort of to sit on the edge of the six-yard box waiting for things to, 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 to bounce off him like a lot of goal scorers of your eye. He's got more in common, I suppose, with a Cristiano Ronaldo who found a way to be a phenomenal goal scorer from a, from a, from a wide position. It's not a nominal wide position. It is a wide position. So it is hard to process it. I think it'll be, and it sounds like it's a cliche, but it'll make more sense if he even goes half, two-thirds away towards repeating it next season. I think if you get, I'll take all comps from Salah now, 20, 25 next season, 18 in the league. I'm taking that. That would be a phenomenal repeat season. I think it would put in context just how strong he was the year before, but in some way it will still be a, re- a reaffirmation of, of what he's capable of. Yes, I'd like him to go on to prove he's messy, literally messy, but if we've literally got messy, but I don't think anyone, I know there's comparisons to Messi this season and they're reasonable because he's done Messi-like numbers and Messi-like performances at times, but we can't, if we've literally got Messi on our hands, then bloody hell. That's another conversation. I mean, I think the most impressive thing about it but with with Mo and to his 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 two partners and the people behind them is that this side isn't built to serve a seller specifically. So in in regards to spares, Kane does the numbers, but you know, first thing Ericsson's looking for when he gets the ball, first thing. Any of their midfielders, Deli Ali, whatever. The fullbacks especially whipping the, the ball. Fullbacks in. especially they're looking to service Harry Kane. Yeah. You can't say to me, you can't look me in the eye and go, we've already talked about the other lads being greedy. The first thought in Bobby Firmino's mind when he gets the ball is, oh, I've got to find Mo. It's what if Mo's there, I'll put him in. But if, I, if I'm going to go myself, I'll go myself. Same goes for Sadio Mane. Don't get me wrong. I think the way we set up suits Mo Salah. But I, st- I, I still think, Salah aside, we've still t- got two very, very good forward players next to him as well, which which puts the achievements into further context. I Part, part of me wonders, and I that had we put all our eggs on Sadio Mane early doors, let him play right wing, 
his favoured position and maybe compromised Salah and asked him to attack from the left what kind of season, what the seasons might have been like. I don't, I'm not saying Sadio Mane would have scored 40-odd goals, but I think he might have scored a heroic number of goals. I think, I don't know, in, in, in another universe, Bobby Firmino scores the most goals. I, I do think Salah has been exceptional, but I think, but I don't think, let's put it this way, putting a crystal, you know, trying a crystal ball next season. If somebody says one of the other three emerges as the primary goal scorer, that wouldn't surprise me if I found that out now via some... Would surprise you? <laughs> no, not really. I, I think... I wouldn't expect any of them to to get forty four goals. No, um, but if if they're all mid twenties, I'd, I'd I'd wouldn't be surprised if any of them, whichever do, ones ahead. Do you not think, in all seriousness, Man City have scored over a hundred goals? We've scored eighty something. Um, don't worry about the specific number. The point is that they've scored twenty two. I think more than us. Are you not expecting us to to compete with them? next season and, and look to score over 100 goals because if we score over 100 league goals someone's got to be fucking kicking it in the goal yeah I, I, th- I think there will but I think something that we've been possibly lacking for a couple of years now is goals from midfield I think the way we're set up obviously you know services the, the three players we've got up top but how how many times over the last few months have we been like God please don't let there be any injuries to those front three because we'll have to try something different and the goals aren't there other than those guys. So, you know, I think that's possibly going to be something we're going to be looking at in terms of not just the front three, bringing numbers into midfield. I think one of the key things on Salah, and yeah, it's it's really, really hard to put into to context, but the fact we have got those three up front and it's not a Harry Kane situation, It's it's not a this is your route to goal, is it just creates problems for everyone we play. They can't just double up on Sadio... Uh, they can't just double up on Mo Salah because, well, Sadio Mane will do you or Roberto Firmino will do you. But that's why I think that's why I think the setup is, is so important. Rick, you're exactly right. You can't... As, look, the truly great strikers always find a way anyway, whether you double-mark them, triple-mark them, whatever. But it, it is that triple threat. I, I think you put Mo Salah in any other front three in that league... Then he doesn't score half as much. I mean, ever I, I read, I, I don't know, it was someone smarter than me was saying how Liverpool set up. In fact, it was Neil Jones told me an ex-player who we couldn't name was saying how Liverpool set up. You know, in theory, oh yeah, great, just play dead attack and it's dead easy. He says no, there's an absolute bravery to the way Liverpool play, and it's far deeper than just having good players. It's having the commitment and the and the confidence to go. You know what we're going to do? This we're going to storm his and it's and it's going to work. Yeah, I think that, but I think that's you know to to ask the question therefore about next season. As I say, eighty four yeah, goals at the minute. Um, Rob, you know, eighty four goals. If I don't see, that's where the managers put his put his energies. I think he's I think he's decided that's his way home. If we're going to do the business both at home and abroad, I think he's decided that we're going to do the business home and abroad by by being an attacking force. I think he sees attacking and defending as linked. I think he's right to do so. But I think he he sees that attacking force question and. I'm I'm only seeing that number go up. I'll be really, really honest. Yeah, I think if that number doesn't go up, then we won't we won't have achieved our ambitions next season. So that's why I am asking the question. I think I, yeah. I take your general point about no, you, you make a point. You'd be surprised if it was someone else. But I sort of think, and this is why I think it's hard to contextualise the whole achievements. The number of games I've come out of this season, where Liverpool's, where I'm annoyed or not annoyed, annoyed would be the wrong way to phrase it. Where I think we could have scored more. You know, and Saturday, yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. Sunday, sorry, is a really good example. We've all said it should be five another half time. And Christ, if we could just get a pen, 
Do you know what yeah. I mean? That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? What's the gold? What's the what's the actual difference between us and City on the twenty two? I think it's twenty. We're eighty four. They're one hundred and six. Okay. I'll make two points here. Okay. Just count the five you scored against because they didn't count because Sadio Mane was sent. Well, I, I'm going to start this <laughs> counting. Well, let's put it this way: we don't, we don't, we don't start playing until after Tottenham, and we, and, and I think we do. We rarely get our front three together till after Tottenham, if truth be told. With Mane's suspension, a niggling injury, Coutinho's absence, there's a bedding in phase for Salah. There's some resting going on around the early Champions League qualifier. So we don't, for, for a range of reasons, we don't get going. And I think City are probably a good ten ahead of us at that point, including five against us. Um, also, in the, in the run-in, in the run-in, we've, we, uh, before yesterday, we'd only won one out of five. Um, apart from the Bournemouth game, I think we're talking about two nil-nils against Stoke. Uh, so we, we don't score in three of those, which is unheard of for, for us throughout the season. I think with the stronger squad, of the fact that we don't have to play, choose the competition we're going to concentrate on, I think Liverpool are, uh, quite frankly, Stoke could have fallen by four. We could have gone to West Brom and, and, and got four or five. So I, th- I think you can see how we might have made the goals up on City if we'd had our time again and could start with the squad we want. I'd also caveat all of that if we're playing a numbers game by saying it's not a given because City are a 104-goal team this season. The City are a 104-goal team next season either. If and there is also the, sorry, the question of conceding goals, which we've got much better at not doing so. If we signed the Mo Salah that we thought we were getting, not the superstar that he turned out to be, then we'd be all right. And look, I know it's, this isn't revisionism. When we signed Salah, it was the, the overall feeling was, oh, we've got someone there if Marnie's not there now. And a lot of people were saying Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Cover so, for Marnie was yeah, my exactly, first thought. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if they, if they can go and get someone of that, I'm not saying sign someone who turns out to be as good as Mo Salah, but if they can just share that burden a little bit and go for someone that, the, the Mo Salah we thought we were getting as opposed to the one that... Well, my thing was, which it always is, was can you just replicate what it did last season for us? So he got one and two the season before in Italy. He scored 16. And I, my attitude was 35 million for 16 league goals, Sam. I'll have a, I'll have a slice yeah. of that, uh, which would also be my attitude this season. You know, it's worth paying 35 million for another 16 league goals. I think that's almost what I'm saying on top of where we currently are. You know, it's, it's 22 goal difference at the minute. If we can if we can go and spend some money and get another 16 league goals, great. Well, you, you can you can go to anyone you're going out and signing. You haven't got, and you get asked the question, well, I'm in, where's my game time? Well, the game time's quite easy because you're actually filling in for three positions and not one. Because you want to give each one of your front three equal rest over the course of the season. You could have a nominal plan B, mm. getting 20, still getting 25, 30 games a season and a chance that if he does well enough, he gets he gets in there. I think I think some of the goals we, we've missed between us and City, Neil, arguably are Coutinho's goals. Because somewhere along the line, all the, the, the front three, the, the current front three, were all on the same trajectory, more or less, at the point Phil left. Phil was also on heading towards a 25-goal all-comp season himself. So, you know, it's, I mean, the, the, we, can, we, can, we can go on all day about how maybe our, maybe our system of play actually improved without Phil, but you can certainly in goals totals, you could see how it's possible we could have had did, we score, the, did, did we score more than City in the, in the Champions League? We outscored everyone in the Champions League. We outscored everyone. Okay. Yeah. We've set records in the Champions League. So the, the, the point I was kind of ham-fistedly trying to make earlier about the goals... Uh, is the reason I don't think you're going to see one of them getting 40 next season is because they won't have to play. I agree with that, yeah. Right, so we'll get extra goals from midfield. We bring in a fourth choice for our front three, which we had at the start of the season, like Rob's just said. So that spreads the goals more. And if the system keeps doing what the system's been doing for the last 18 months, there's just goals there. 
and it's not all going to be focused around one, it's going to be spread. And get a fifth choice as well. Um, <laughs> always buy forwards and wingers, as Alex Ferguson said, because you can always fucking sell them. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Murray is the, is, 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 I'm going to keep saying it, Glenn Murray, you came on against us, lumbered round up front, is your 10th highest scorer in this division at the minute with 12, and he all, joined 12th, and he also is the second highest scorer of anyone who doesn't play for a top six side. Uh, let's just remember that and just think what you could sell to Brighton at any time of your choosing because nobody scores any goals. Why didn't, um, he, start, why didn't he start, Neil? I think, that, I think they were looking for the mobility. He's not mobile. He's just a big lad. And I think they thought Lacardia might might be able to run in behind us and then Virgil van Dijk decides he's just going to stretch his legs for a minute and knock yeah. it off him. They don't play Pascal Gross either because I think they felt they had to carry him. Um, I think I think if you play Gross, it's a bit of a four four one one, where basically you let Pascal Gross just do what he wants. And I think they thought we can't just let Pascal Gross do what he wants because these are going to batter us if we're not careful. We need to be compact. Well, I thought he was going to bring both of them on at half time because when they're all out warming up at half time, there was a coach working specifically with those two. Mm. So I thought, oh bloody hell, is he making two changes? But I almost thought he probably looked at it and gone, well, these two aren't going to have Van Dijk off, so let's let's give them what we can, but let's not make them do it for 45 just, minutes. Just on Brighton, what do you make of Matty Ryan? Um, There's a loaded question because I, I, I want to... <laughs> I, I, th- I thought, I was intrigued by him actually because I thought a couple of the kicks, he's like Pickford, but actually what everyone said Pickford was rather than the theory of Pickford. Uh, sorry, he's, he's, he's closer to the theory of Pickford than Pickford actually is. Right, okay. So all that in mind and everyone's saying, I've just been reading the reports of yeah. play, people saying he played reasonably well. How close did he get to any of the goals? Do you want to know the answer? Nowhere near him. Nowhere fucking near. Nowhere near him. All right, okay. He, no, just he, double, just double check. He's another, no, just on that, on the Salah thing, this is the other thing I keep saying about Salah is the number of times Salah scores and the keeper doesn't move. Yeah. Because he just put it somewhere the keeper can't get it. Well, his first goal's a reverse pass. I, in fact, shot. hang on, hang on, let's let's hold that point. It's not where the keeper can't get it. He's just that clever and assured. He's putting it where the keeper, no, can't get it. He's just not expecting where to go. When he turns up, you look at Matty Ryan, he's he done it against the goal against Palace and he does it so many times the goal against Porto. He'll take that little steady in touch. And you'll go that way. You look at Matty Ryan at the point when Mo Salah strikes that ball, Matty Ryan's actually in mid-air. That's why he can't move anyway. But he's going to shift his weight to the right when Mo goes on the way you're looking at the goal. Yeah. He's clever enough to just pick a spot and not even... He does that so many times with Salah. You look at so many times... You just said this over the keepers just reached the spot. He just goes so early. Yeah. He goes so early. I mean... Or late, or late sometimes he well, yeah. barricades and takes the extra yeah, touch yeah. or he waits for everyone to fall over yeah, yeah. yeah, he, yeah. Just, he just like takes a, takes a breath and does bullet, that bullet time matrix and all that yeah shit. That, exactly that matrix <laughs> thing so he's either doing that or you know when they think he's drawing his boot back he's actually just he's actually he's already kicking the ball you know it's a, as Fowler very, very was the last player very, very little very backlift. little backlift but a lot of times it's just, it's just a, he, it's contact into this like, it reminds me of Robbie Fowler in many respects he has reverse past the first I suppose what I'm trying to say is I don't think Matty Ryan's very good but he's one that looks easy on the eye so people like him he, he saved everything that was right at him I can't remember him making well, a save he's not at fault with the goals is he no, no but no. I can't remember no, him making a save that you go oh, oh he's done well there um Second goal, I want to talk about the scorers and using those jumping off points. We've done Solanke, we've done Salah. Dejan Lovren. Um, what a first half that was. Uh, Rick, talk about deciding that you're just going to be first to everything. He was launching himself. And, and this was part of why Brighton could not get out. Dejan Lovren just wasn't going to stand for it. But there, was, there was a moment, probably about 20 minutes in, where the ball's coming towards Lacardia. And it's probably coming in around chest height. And Lovren's around, uh, around the back of him and somehow manages to sort of jump in the air, twist his body round him and pass it to Van Dyke. And I was, 
how has that even happened? How is that physically possible? Because he, he was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not letting you even control this ball. You're having no time. We're getting back on the front foot. And by the way, this lad I've just passed it to isn't just a centre half. He can pick anyone else out on this pitch you like. So good luck with your long balls up to uh, to this lad. Yeah, it's good, it's good watching Dejan yesterday. I loved the goal, and it just makes you think, just do that a bit more. It's, it's, it's not it's not even the way he plants the header. It's just the run he chooses to get on his it's mat. It's one of the sides of the jump. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a great... I don't know. There are other centre-halves around the Premier League we've watched in recent years who seem to get make that a thing of theirs. John Terry was capable of... Village. I think, yeah, Village. I think Cahill do it often enough. Um I just think he needs to start watching videos of himself at his finest because Lovren, you talk about the goals, Lovren's capable of five or six, maybe not all that style, but during the course of a season, not the one or two he gets. That was that was his first goal at Anfield in the league for Liverpool, wasn't it? And it was scored against Dortmunds in the Champions League. No. Um, Is it? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Facts, man. Um, Space Jam. Have you ever seen Space Jam? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or so- Bugs Bunny in it. Yeah, um, no. with the R. Kelly theme tune that we can't really talk about anymore. Anyway, so Space Jam, yeah, Hang Time, Michael Jordan, all that. It was just one of them. I, I just love watching it because you could see it. It was one of those goals you could see oh, it developing. Leaves, it leaves Robertson's yeah. foot and I go, this, this is it. Yeah. I literally went, it's there. Yeah. As it left Robertson's foot. Because some, sometimes you just go, go, yeah. before before anyone's even made a connection. Yeah. And it was just glorious. One. It was one of them you could put chari- Chariots of Fire to and it'd look even, it. even more magnificent. And it was made up for him, made up for him. And you've seen the benefit of a Dejan Lovren who doesn't feel he's got to be the leader. The Loves the Reds. Probably the, the, you know, after that weird, you know, kung fu tackle pass thing and the goal, my favourite other moment of Lovren yesterday was when everyone's celebrating Salah's goal and he's just giving the ref an earful. He's 25 yards away. The ref's trying to get back to the halfway line and he's just going we mental. We need more of that. We need more of that. There was that, well, I thought that I thought Henderson was going to get himself at the very least booked yesterday, if not sent off. And I'm, I'm, we're not going to do the referee this time. We've done it recently. We'll do it again over the summer. Uh, it is a great cross from Robertson for the second, Rob. Mm. Um, and it's, State-headed, though, as well, didn't it? State-headed. Um, but the cro- float. I don't like that kind of cross. Well, I was about to say the crossing is now noticeably more of a weapon than a constant, if you know what I mean. Yeah, when yeah. he first came into the side, I felt there was at times there was too many crosses going in, and I'm made up with where he is on the pitch to score the fourth. To me, it looked like a, it very much looked like an Alan Kennedy or Phil Neal goal. That it very much looked like a classic Liverpool fullbacks goal, maybe even a Marcus Babel drilling mm. it in from inside the area when you've been inside the area. If you see what I mean. Oh, no, no, hundred percent. I mean. I've, I say this about, or feel it about wingers a lot, that whenever we get a new wing and you just, you look at their output is, let him be, let him be on the back post when the ball's on the other wing. I said that about Salah when he came in, I thought, oh, and little did I, we know, you know, at least, at least with a winger, if you're not going to be other, arrive late in the box, be on the back post. With a fullback, I think we let them off the hook a bit. We go, yeah, okay, get beyond your winger, stretch, stretch the thing, overload, get across in, but not. Sometimes when, they, when there's other, I mean, you know, when Lana brilliantly slipped in Ings, he had the, has the intelligence to just cut inside and make himself available. You're right, it is very much old school. I'm not a Steve Nichol. You throw into that. Great shots. Yeah, I've, I've just not seen that. <laughs> Can't say I've seen that goal from a fullback in Liverpool since when. Dude, you forget that we nearly scored the identical goal against Roma the other week and it got blocked. From exactly the same position. Did he? Yeah, yes, he did. I can't remember. Yeah, um, so it's obviously something they've been working on. I always remember um, when we spoke to Rafa Benitez and he mentioned Arbalawa. And there's a thing where, with the, apparently, in your ideal system, when your fullbacks do what they're supposed to do, when you're attacking, they get between the gap between the far post, so where the post is, and the edge of the six yard box. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. little space. Hmm. Like that's their area. So if it pops out, you're 
not within the frame of the goal, but just far enough out yeah. to either head towards the ball, but you're far enough away. So if you get turned over, you know, you've got a decent chance of recovering. And that's exactly the spot where he's been against, both against Roma and against Brighton the other day. And he was also, um, aside from the fact that he's in the box, but when he, when he actually realises the ball's bouncing out to him and he can get to it, he's actually making his way out of the box. So he's, he's not even the furthest into the box that he has been in that move when he scores. He's, he's actually heading There was some real joy in, in the goal scoring yesterday, wasn't there? I mean, each, each, each one had their own sort of dragons. To, to Salah slide. was made up for Solanke as well, did you see that? Well, he yeah. was. They were, I mean, Solanke was, you know, it was a massive relief for him. Robertson, you obviously saw that, you know, he felt like this sort of was the cream on the cake of what he's achieved so far, although there's more to come, hopefully. But I was particularly, I particularly noticed Salah's goal. Now, I mean, you could say what a number of reasons why it meant a lot to him, but I've never, he's kind of a cool, understated customer, isn't he, a lot of the time, Mo? When he scores, everyone else around him is going madder than he is. He then, he lets them all subside, he prays and he goes back to halfway line. But he actually forgot himself for, for a second there as he goes to the cop, I thought. And I don't know whether that was a product of realising realizing with the level he was getting, putting Liverpool in the Champions League, he'd reached a personal milestone, or that he had felt some frustration, funnily enough, with three games without a goal. Or possibly, might- possibly that he's not given a stonewall pen. Yes. Yeah, minutes before because he was he was punching the floor after that he was he had yeah, a full yeah. on what what what's going to happen here yeah yeah absolutely on on the pen thing I think we're going to see a Suarez gate do you remember the season when Suarez couldn't buy a penalty and then the ref it's always if the referees went away that someone went oh good you know what actually that they, do you know what changed that they they were they they were penalties then no. and then the season after we started what? singing a song. That changed it. Well, we're, Ref- singing, we're singing Salah songs. No, we started singing when Suarez gets a pen oh, right, or okay. going around the party. But then but so we they, need all, that they song. all went away, looked at it, and then next season he's getting them left, he's getting them left, right, and centre. Um, there was something else I was going to say, which is completely gone now. So um, Lallana go. looked sharp hand with Kiev in mind. He came on. I, th- I thought he looked quite bright. Yeah, he did. It's good to see him as well. Good option. Um, I say good option. People, I feel a little bit sorry for Adam Lallana in so much as the people forget how bloody good he was. Well, this season sort of gone on around, yeah. and he must be weird in that squad for Lallana. That would yeah. be the key man to now. Now, now it's a, it's a, the life of a footballer, but it's a weird one. Yeah, yeah, and it, you'd also see, given the, the front three, um, again, hindsight, would he been in a position to fight for one of those front three positions at the start of the season? Possibly, maybe is he now? Absolutely not. So we see where he is in midfield, possibly next season. I, I thought he was. I thought he was really, really good. Um, he, he, when he'd made his comeback slightly earlier in the season, he'd been, um, I suppose, more more energy than than technique. But he, we saw a sign of his, his football brain clicking into gear again. The, the goal, the contribution to the goal, but his, his movement was exceptional. His touch was exceptional. Look, Adam's got a lot of. If ever a man's come back from injury, has got things to play for. That boy's got things to play for. He's got he's got the, the final to try and get some minutes in, and he's got the World Cup afterwards with England. There's a player on the mission. It might hopefully works out for us. Just a mini break to talk about what we're doing on on the Anfield after player system at the minute. And right now, I've got Rob Gutman with me. And Rob, you're excited. It's transfer season. It started. Yep, we're up and running. Um, well, the, end the of real the, business has become the real business. Sod off the football, apart from that little side show in Kiev in a couple of weeks, and then get on with the real business of a summer of fun. Um, yeah, I'm. You know what? Okay, not notwithstanding that we've got a European Cup to win, I am still. I am looking ahead to next season. I, I'm very, very excited. And those the bookies have us as second favourites behind City. I think it's closer than they think it'll be. We've made such strides this season. It feels it's within uh, grasping distance, really, how close we are. But 
feels, I know it's perennially a couple of players short, but we've already got one of them in, in Nabi Keita. Some exciting rumours around people like Nabil Fakir. Uh, you hope we might bring in a quality goalkeeper and other players. So I'm, I'm excited to be talking about it endlessly all summer. Endlessly all summer. Once we get to the other side of the Champions League final, there will be three gutter shows a week, three transfer shows a week, looking at Liverpool, who Liverpool have been linked with. We'll be speaking to supporters of other clubs as well. But before then, there is the business of the Champions League final. And with the Anfield wrap, we've got all the build-up for you. Uh, we're going to be starting pulling that together at the back end of this week. And we're going to be swamping you with fantastic Champions League final-related content. That's coming next week if you pay the £5 a month, theanfieldwrap.com forward slash subscribe now is a perfect time to do it what a summer ahead what a night in may to come and what a fantastic time to be a liverpool supporter the reds very much are on the march so the results against brighton puts liverpool into the champions league but rob i think there's not got effect all over the place here with the way this has gone united have broken 80 and if they get beat by chelsea they've managed to have a gloriously bleak, almost Bicketian achievement of a season where they're actually really quite good, but no one gets to ever have a nice time. Um, <clears throat> that's the main reason why I want Chelsea to beat the man, the fact that you never want Manchester United to win as much as a Tom Bowler. Um, Spurs have that mad game. Someone always has a mad game at the end of the season, but they secure third. Chelsea and Arsenal miss out. I mean, you're very much a man for the bigger picture on this sort of stuff. There are knock-on effects here. Yeah. I mean, we've seen power shifts going on over the last, well, certainly last season. Arsenal having had fourth as their right, but no, well, rarely any much higher than that, suddenly were properly knocked out of the Champions League places last year and we replaced them in that. And that felt like a power shift. They've been very, very firmly confirmed as, as below, uh, you know, the leading pack. Okay, we'll wait to see what the new manager brings to it, but, but he's got catch-up ground to make up here. Chelsea... Well, it's a it's a weird period for Chelsea, but I think it was important from our point. I'm only looking at it from our point of view, from our point of view that they were knocked down a notch, that they found no way back into the Champions League. Okay, they have the bad season uh, after Mourinho wins in the league last time with Mourinho, which leads to his sacking. But it's so bad it can almost be looked upon as a freak, and Conte almost confirms it's a freak by winning them the league. But the hangover again now says that they've now had two seasons out of four where they haven't qualified for the Champions League, and in between times won it twice. I, it, it, you know, can they repeat the trick and, and turn it around 100, full 360 again next season? It's looking harder and harder. What we ha- are seeing with Chelsea, which is really important, to, I think, to observe, is they've been increasingly spending less net season upon season. The, 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 the phase of, their, of, their, of the Abramovich era when, they, when he would bankroll them and he would just give them a, a cash injection to, to make sure they sustain themselves has gone. It feels like it's gone. I don't think he's suddenly going to find another 150 million down the back of the sofa to augment whatever they would be spending. So I wonder if they've, they've if they're falling back into the pack isn't much more permanent than people realise. I think they've still got a bit of kudos in, in Europe. People still see them as the Chelsea of Abramovich who might be able to buy big stars. But I'd, I'd like to see what would happen to them now if, if they finally lose their grip on the likes of Courtois and Hazard whether they can properly attract the biggest names in Europe anymore. Because are Chelsea a better prospect than Liverpool right now? I don't think so. I think for the first time in years, money, whatever way you want to look at it, I don't think Chelsea are a better prospect than Liverpool. And I think that's a major step forward for us. Arsenal goes without saying. I look at the other teams, say in the top six, and think that they've all got their own issues. United, like like Neil's mentioned, you know, no one's had any fun there this season. You know, they've, they've, they've actually quietly had a really good season. You know, they would have been within a couple of results of winning a league in a normal league. But no one's happy there. No one's having a good time. 
uh, and that's the players, the management. They've just lost their assistant manager, and, and Mourinho saying, "I'm not going to have another assistant manager. I'm just going to teach Carrick and, and everyone else who's here." Um, then you've got City, and how do you improve on 106 goals and 100 points? That's that's like you said earlier. Is either going to lead to a change in focus? So they're not going to do what they've done this season. We can only hope for that. Um, and then going down the the league, you're looking at Spurs. Spurs have got some real big issues brewing and probably coming to fruition very soon around their their pay structure, around whether someone like Harry Kane's going to stick around. Well, maybe Harry Kane's a bad example, but someone like Ericsson or Ali, even someone who doesn't have a particular connection with the club and isn't prepared to take half of what they could be earning at a bigger club. Then you've got Chelsea, Arsenal. Arsenal... Arsenal, I don't think, is as big a rebuild job as, as everyone thinks. I think you get the right manager in, get a couple of solid defenders and a new goalkeeper, and you could see that same, the rest of that squad doing very well next season. Um, Chelsea, it's, it, it's, all, it's all ifs and buts at the moment. It's who are they going to get in if they get rid of Conte, which realistically they're getting rid of him. Um, who who goes, who stays, what sort of player are they going to look to bring in? Because since they signed uh, Angola Kante, they've they pretty much exclusively shopped in the not-quite-good-enough British player market. With the exception of Morata, which hasn't come off. Yeah. So, the, the, the you know, you look at it the second half of the season, Giroud's been more important to them than the Morata. And Giroud costs, what, £17 million from Arsenal. You've got Barkley not even looking like the Barkley who played for Everton when he does play, when when Conte remembers he's alive. You've got Drinkwater hardly getting a game because he's not really consistent top four quality, which is why he left United in the first place. And realistically, like like you've just been saying, Rob, are, are they going to have the money or the inclination to go out and spend the money they need to? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think if you look at our supposed peers, I think there's... There's only us in City who you, you describe as anywhere relatively stable. I think right across the board, um, you've got issues there. I mean, I, if, I take Rick's point about personnel-wise, Arsenal don't need that much, but I think Arsenal's biggest challenge is undoing 20 years of Wengerisms. They're going to rip the system up and start again. And you're going to be going into a club there that only knows how to do things one way is the Arsene Wenger way. Arsene Wenger way. Um <laughs> And that will take time. That will take time. They're going to go with the new structure. There's no guarantee that that will work. You look at Spurs, who, and I, I like Spurs, um, not as much as Rob, but there you go. Jesus. Get in. 89th minute. Let me like this flair. <laughs> um, I think Pochettino's a, a real risk of losing Pochettino. I think when your chief executive's earning more money than, than a manager who's done a fantastic job, I think, you know, I don't even think it was hidden or vague what Pochettino was saying yesterday about they've got to gamble, they've got to gamble. So I think there's a real risk there. I'm just, I've, I'm only grateful that it didn't happen last year and he ended up at Man United because I think Pochettino's a far better manager for Man United than Jose Mourinho. Uh, so about Mourinho. So, I mean, you've seen the reaction from the fans. They're not happy finishing second. Any other season apart from City, they're probably winning the league. City have had an exceptional season, but... You know, United. United yeah. are there. They've got an FA Cup final, but they're, they're not particularly happy. Um, the only thing that seems to fuel them anymore is the fact that everyone hates Mourinho and they, and they buzz off that, which is fine. But he's he's got issues. He's, he's got very expensive pieces that he can't fit into his puzzle. You got Alexis Sanchez, you got Paul Pogba, you got Martial. 
you know, and there seems to be this narrative that follows Mourinho now, and, and you can tell it annoys him that he's a, he's a three-year manager, he doesn't develop players, he doesn't... Just only because the fact he gets so prickly about it when it's brought up. If it didn't bother him and he didn't react, you wouldn't really be that arsed either, would you? Uh, Chelsea, Phil Blund, I hate it when Phil's right. Um, but Phil called Chelsea at, in the first couple of weeks of the season. He said, look at their squad. The champions, but the squad is as thin as anything. I don't think it's any surprise that Michael Manalo left in November. He was their director of football. They haven't really replaced him. And you don't... I don't think the weird thing is I'm not sure I think Phil's been proved right in the broadest sense but not in the narrowest sense I think well, they've managed squad-wise I just think the squad's got lower in, they've all, they're lowering quality you say, you say that but you look at the quality Chelsea have got and compare it to the Spurs best players Chelsea have got better players Courtois a better goalie than Loris as it's better than any player that Spurs have got alright Spurs have got Harry Kane you've then got uh who else? Chelsea got the... Well, you look, you look okay. to them. You look to them in their title season. And you go, that's a powerful front three. Willi- Williams uh, there. Yeah, but William wasn't even in the side in the title season. So the, you you go, Diego Costa. He's the key miss. Diego Costa, an on form hazard, and Pedro back to his back to his Barcelona day best with with William as cover. That looked great, and then suddenly overnight. As it's playing in fits and starts, Morata isn't isn't right, Costa. So what, so what I suppose I'm saying, the instability, there's also a lack of identity across the six, I think. Apart from Mourinho, Mourinho's got his own identity. We all know what Man City are, we know how they play football, they don't know what they do. You mentioned Liverpool, so when he was a Liverpool fan, they know what to expect. What's Chelsea's brand of football? What's their identity now? Grandly. Grandly. Spurs, when they're not, and, and I like Spurs, but I think Spurs, are, Spurs have got a squad, apart from Kane and maybe Ericsson, Spurs, in my opinion, have got a load of players who just slightly below the level. So whereas you think they only need a little bit, they actually need a lot. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Spurs' is, Spurs' is best asset is the continuity they get from their players being just shy of being world-class. I think. No, no, it's what you said. <laughs> no, but the continuity, though. No, I, what you mean is that no one's buying them. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, continuity. Yeah, no, but Andrew, that's my point. I'm agreeing with you because... What's going to happen? The Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't taking anyone off. Okay, there may be a question on on Harry Kane, but even then, I'm not convinced because he's not obviously a, a continental style forward. Certainly not. I think uh, to, to, you know to, to Latin appetite sometimes. But I don't know. Man United's a Man United's a very very strange one. They finished second. They finished five points ahead of us. But you think had we had we gone out uh, to City? We'd have picked up. We wouldn't have had that one win in five run that we had, and we'd have comfort might have comfortably seen off United. What's his next move, though? What do you reckon his next move is, Jose? After you leaving United, if, if, no, I mean, I mean next season because he's finished 20, 20 points behind City. Now, where does Liverpool an ongoing project and blah blah blah? That doesn't. It just doesn't fit with the, with the Mourinho project. But what do you think his next move is? Well, he's got his only move. He, the only thing he knows how to do is to go into the market and, and look to, to buy somebody devastatingly expensive and who will give them a lift. Like he'll, I, you could say a Griezmann, but I don't think he will. And I think he's probably spent his forward I, allocation on Alexis Sanchez. I think he'll buy two centre halves, and I think, but I think it's hard to say who those centre backs are. I think there's a general crisis in central defence, and that's one of the reasons why I think we, we, we did. You know, one of the high points of our season for a variety of different reasons is secure and Van Dijk. Looks like a bargain but, already, doesn't he? Yeah, because I don't think there's, there's not. So he, I mean, he, put, he, he spent forty million on Johnny Lindelof. Um, I think he's always trying to buy Johnny, Michael. Johnny, <laughs> <laughs> I've got no, like, I no, like from, from hence forward. Yeah. 
I, I love. Um, I, I think Mourinho's always will always try and rebuy Michael Essien at his peak. He will always try and find Balak. He loves. He lo- he'd love a team of four central midfielders. But he's I also. Think. I think he's also trying to buy. I think he's trying to buy Carvalho, and I don't think Carvalho exists. Yeah, that's. Really and true. I think he's just trying to buy Carvalho, and I think that like buy looks to me like a really good player. But there's massive issues about getting him on the pitch, even more than either of our two who, who go alongside Van Dijk. Uh, I, I don't think Carvalho is effective either. I think Carvalho now was sent off more. Far of course, more often. but he's, I think he's just looking for us. I think he's just going to spend his life trying to buy a centre half. The King Snyder. Yeah, yeah. King Snyder centre half. Yeah. He's able to. No, that's it. It's the compliments. It's absolute compliments. Yeah, a King Snyder centre half. We can sort of devote his image to and say, "This is my guy. This is what my guy does. My guy does this. My guy does this." And I, you know, in the same way, he sort of decided he's gambling the, the farm on Matic being his guy. Even though I think that Matic is a bit of a symbol of a football that's backwards, that 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 that's yeah. yesterday's football Matic. Do you think he? Do you think he lacks a player that will make his decisions for him on the pitch? Well, I think he thinks that's Matic. Well, that's I think what I'm saying. So well. he hasn't got a call from over. Yeah. You've got like a Carvalho who'll go right. I know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. United badly need to win that FA Cup, I think, the nearer it gets to it. And looking how this season has sort of petered out by finishing second and getting 80 points, which sounds a bit mad. But I do feel they need... You could see the mood of their fans yesterday just looking across social media and the various videos that were doing the rounds. We can say what we like about United, actually, despite outward appearances being a good football team, how 80 points a second to City is, is just de facto respectable. But I think if they lose to Chelsea in that Cup final, I think it will be... I think the mood going into the new season will not be good. Just mad as that might sound in some, in, in some context, it won't be good. And if they don't start well, I think there'll be a mood against uh, Mourinho, which won't be helpful or uh, further their cause. One thing that surprised me yesterday is I uh, saw the stat that since uh, Arsenal signed Obama Young, he scored 10 league goals. This season, Sanchez has got nine. How many has he got for United? One. He's, I, I don't know, I didn't see the split, but he's got nine league goals. It'd be great if he's fallen off a cliff. But that's that's the it's thing. It, it doesn't it doesn't cool. seem like they bought the player they needed when they needed him. It seems like they they almost looked like they were right, we've got to get him just to get one up on City. Well right? that was it, it was a pissing contest, wasn't well, it? It was an opportunity for them to get one yeah, up. But it's it, you know what, lads, what what's getting one up on City is not buying a player that they don't even need. It's it's being competitive against them. So sort out what you need to sort out and actually put a challenge together. And I think of their big money signings over the last few years, the only one that you could say is consistently paid off is Lukaku. Matic is, is Matic, has his limitations. You know, Pogba on his day looks like the best midfielder in the world, but second half of this season particularly, I've not seen him have that many of his days. And... And he clearly it seems to be some kind of issue with him and the manager. So their their big plan, and it's not like they've stopped since Ferguson left. They've been throwing money at this thing for five years now, and this is the closest they've come, and they're twenty points behind. Okay, um, interesting thing about everyone else. That's a show. We'll be doing that next week. Excellent stuff. Well done, everybody. Rob, you can start prepping that one now. Uh, thank you very much to the Anfield Rap this week. Thank you much to Liverpool for qualifying for the Champions League. Our focus will soon begin to shift towards Kiev. Uh, now that that one is in the bank, Liverpool can go to Kiev and enjoy themselves, have an absolute ball, beat Real Madrid. Thank you very much, Rob Gutman, Andy Heaton, and Rick McAvoy. And thank you very much to Reds Bet, who are supporting the Anfield Rap throughout the entirety of uh, 2018, uh, 50% of the net losses uh, or your losses go towards fan-related causes and ventures. Uh, so thank you very much to them indeed. Uh, if you are going to gamble, though, please do be gambleaware. Uh, BeGambleAware.org for that. And that has been the Anfield Wrap. Sports Social Podcast Network.